0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Which on is that? That's the second time
1: it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home,
2: those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever.
3: Well, we did mark your card on Friday that this is going to be a bumper weekend of sports, and it didn't disappoint. Well, it did disappoint in that both Munster and Leinster were beaten in the Champions Cup, but it didn't disappoint in that there was lots there of There was lots on. Of sport on. Yeah, uh, you're very welcome to Monday's Second Games podcast. Hi, Ken. Hi, I know you. I If you've already made Hello yourself there, a bit aware of your presence there, I've got a surprise highlight for you maybe from the last couple of days from my own couch surfing okay couch surfing no it wasn't couch surfing no, that's I was no channel surfing on the couch couch surfing is very different thing
2: yeah couch potatoing
3: <laughs> that's what I was doing yeah so I was watching Mark, Sel- Mark Selby again defending champion at the crucible cruise through his second round match at the, world, at the world championships at one point he was lining up a pot when a member of the audience sneezed viciously behind him it was unfortunate mm. these things happen There was a brief pause and you know there's normally quite a big deal in snooker in particular but Selby just smiled gently and then made a great show of raising his hand to the back of his neck as though to make sure he hadn't been caught by any Mm -hmm. spittle. Yeah, in the crossfire. Okay. It was a bit, It was a gag. You see.
1: That was that was your highlight
3: of the. Sporting no, weekend. I'm going to get there. <laughs> okay, sorry. Be patient. This is like a frame of snooker. If it, the story yeah. develops slowly, yeah, okay. all right. Fine, yeah. Unless you're on your so We're we're in the middle of a bout of safeties. You're early. Moment, you're is. early in that bout of safeties. Yeah. Cue much raucous laughter from the crowd. Right. Everyone thought this was this was bloody funny. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty hilarious stuff. So Amazing reaction. But what gotcha. happens when Selby crouches down to take on the pot? Oh, Not,
1: not another bloomin' sneeze, is it?
3: it on? No, he misses a f- straightforward red because he was too busy messing, playing uh, at the gallery. Nobody needs this. It's not what I've come to expect at the Crucible. But it was a bit loose for my taste, if I'm perfectly honest, which is why I so enjoyed what happened when Selby got back to the table mm-hmm. once his opponent had missed. He looks all serious and focused. hits the most exquisite, yes, Murph, safety shot. Mm-hmm. The cue ball lands, when I say flush with the ball cushion, Murph, it was yeah. just, it was a dream, to be honest with you. Yeah. At which point the commentator, apparently a man with similar tastes as my own, says gravely, although the jester from Leicester made the crowd laugh a moment or so ago, predominantly his game face is well and truly on. <laughs> and so it should be, Mr. Commentator. Oh God. And so it should be. The jester oh. from Leicester, yeah, that's his name.
1: I really feel that I don't spend enough time with you at the weekends. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 why would I deny, deny myself the pleasure of your company on Saturday and Sunday?
3: Not such a good day for a couple of days, really, for another great entertainer. I use that in inverted commas Ili Nastasi. We did try to warn you about this guy On a recent podcast We interviewed Ili Many years ago We told you he was a gobshite he, he came across as a, a bit of a gobshite Murph That's one of many words we could use And mm. at least some of you took heed Ryan Lynch Adam David Burke Dale McGee, And others Tweeted us Over the course of a What I can only describe as a meltdown Murph for the Davids Cup So yeah He's the Romanian uh,
1: Fed Cup team captain They were hosting Great Britain Fed this Cup I should say Yeah So uh, His week began Uh, when Romania's best player, Simona Halep, was asked on Friday to comment on Serena Williams' pregnancy, Uh, Nastasi was heard to remark in Romanian uh, about the ethnicity of the unborn child. Let's see what colour it has. Chocolate with milk? Uh, At this press conference, he also twice asked British team captain, Anna Kjotovang, for her hotel room number. And uh, Kjotovang has since said that he made similar remarks at a pre-match dinner the night before. Mm. So, uh, the remarks about Serena Williams' Uh, uh, as yet unborn child um, predictably enough were picked up Uh, the third woman uh, Nastassie grievously insulted this weekend was on Saturday morning when he barged into the press room looking to give out yards to the reporters who had printed those quotes about Serena Williams the only British journalist he could find was Eleanor Crooks he said the English were out to get him and called me stupid a few few more times Crooks said fortunately he was across the other side of the room from me and there were other journalists around so it was unpleasant rather than threatening after that things went downhill uh, later that day, he interrupted the second set of Joanna Conte's game against uh, Serena Kirste, uh to call her and her teammate Kjatsvang, and her team captain Kyazovang, and a fucking bitch. After the British team complained about calls from the crowd during points, which which led to the tie being temporarily suspended and left Conta in tears. He also screamed at the chair umpire, "What's your fucking problem?" Before he was escorted out of the stadium. Uh, Nastasi has. Ended his not very long silence on the matter. I don't regret it and they can send me to prison if they want. I don't care, he told the Daily Mirror. I was just trying to promote the interest of my girl. The English pair just stormed off without even asking permission to leave the court. And I admit, that's when I called her a bitch. She kept trying to keep the crowd quiet. But it's not an opera. It's a game. I don't need this bullshit. I'm 70 years old. I don't even get paid for being team captain. I don't give a shit if they find me or they don't let me sit in the captain's chair. Uh, So... That's, uh, That's Eddie Nastasi. That was his week. He's always been described as a personality. Uh, Sean Ingle in The Guardian uh, noted today uh, that in a 1994 New Yorker piece uh, by Martin Amos, he desc- uh, described a personality in tennis as an exact synonym... Synonym. Oh, my. Synonym. Synonym, thank you. Of a seven-letter, duo-syllable word starting with A and ending with E, and also featuring, in order of appearance, uh, SS, a H, an O, and an L. Uh... And Nastasi is the most complete personality the game has ever
3: boasted. So I think that's probably fair enough. Okay, so what you're saying is we were ahead of the curve in revealing Ilya Nastasi's tr- true colours. That's the kind of eerie prescience that you've come to expect if you're already a member of the Second Captain's World Service. If you're not a member, well, what the bloody hell are you waiting
4: for?
5: The Second Captain's World Service.
3: <laughs> so Shane, Wikipedia tells me the anthem was criticised as being uninspiring as members of the Lions squad, that's you guys, did not engage with it. It was also noted that the fans did not like it. It was dropped as the Lions anthem after the 2005 tour. Did you refuse to engage with that anthem?
6: Well, not at all. I was, like all Irish people, I'm familiar with the power of four with the 4 play public of Ireland. <laughs> so, uh... We'll
1: do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live!
3: I'm guessing you're a big fan of O'Reilly's worldview and his broadcasting
5: style, yeah? By the way, you're talking to a veteran of The Factor. I was on that damn show. You're once. joking me. You're joking me. I couldn't believe I got the call. If you
3: had a second chance to do it all again, would you do it any way differently? Um,
5: no.
2: I wouldn't. Look, it's all grand talking this about Davy's passion and all that. But like, every inter manager has passion. Uh, but you have to control it and you have to set a discipline. And the teams that Davy manages would be better off if he stayed up and stand.
6: Look, my, you know, and I'm happy to talk about it, my older brother, um, Steve, he uh, he was a rock musician with a, a band here, uh, Paul Kelly and the Messengers, and he he became addicted to heroin, and we just felt, in the end, powerless to do anything about it, and um, um, he died.
5: We died. The second captain was World uh... Service.
3: Yeah, that was an Australian journalist by the name of Rowan Connolly speaking. At the end of that clip, it's been a great couple of weeks on the World Service. I I don't want to say you're insane if you don't join up. I mean, you would maybe want to have a long, hard look at yourself. That's all I'm going to say. All that more can be yours for just €5 a month plus VAT. Details on how to join up are on secondcaptains.com. Today's show will feature Galway's demolition of tip. In yesterday's league final That's after we get into The Champions Cup With Liam Toland And fresh from battling The hordes of Claremont supporters Who seemed uh, Fairly hell-bent On disrupting Sky's Post-match coverage yesterday Shane Horgan Are you okay?
6: I've come through it. Tough times down <laughs> in the south of France. What between the sun and the hordes of the, the masses of uh, Claremont fans, i luckily lucky to escape ahead m- of it with my life.
3: I must say I was impressed with your, uh, with your professionalism broadcasting away with, with a bit of madness going on. Was that, the, was that one of the Sky cameras that they took?
6: Um, I took the, <laughs> part of a Sky... Uh, camera, but I think it was returned. Oh, I right did right. have, all the time, all while it was going on, I did have my eye on my jacket, which was just out of shock <laughs> because I had my passport and my uh, wallet in it. And I thought, you know, if one of these guys takes it and runs off, I'm left with two, two choices here. One, pull off my <laughs> headphones and chase after him, or just watch as he runs into the distance <laughs> with my passport and my wallet. And I, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do.
3: Ah, oh, option A would have been amazing. Listen, the, uh, there seems to be, you know, compared to other years when Leinster and Munster in their prime maybe were knocked out of European semifinals there doesn't seem to be as much heartbreak I don't know if, if I'm wrong about that but take Leinster first of all there, there is a lot of talk of learning from this defeat you know Johnny Sexton afterwards in the interview seemed not as devastated as I thought he, he might be I don't know if you're getting the same sort of sense Shane
6: Well I was in a post-match function with them afterwards eating and there was there was, you know, widespread devastation oh, sure. I think um, Johnny gave a really upbeat um, interview and uh, I, I think that probably shows his position in the squad um, the sentiments that he expressed I think were really um, um, pertinent actually and they could have an impact in, on the future of, of Leinster rugby but uh, they have to be disappointed and have to be devastated with the fact that um, they didn't come away from a win from that game maybe if you looked at a broader, you know, I suppose you look at it a little bit, uh, you look at the time sequence, and, and you broaden it out a little bit from where they were last year to where they are this year. There's been such a quite a, a remarkable change, and for that reason, maybe um, it hasn't been building on year after year of um, of not having um, got to a final when they were playing some top rugby. But I just felt there's a huge opportunity um, yesterday, and it uh, looked on a couple of occasions like they'd taken it. Um, only to fall uh, short at the end.
3: Liam, what did happen in that first half? We saw some stuff like Fergus McFadden at one stage slicing a kick under no pressure, o- almost out to the advertising hoardings. Nasewa getting himself yellow carded in mm, not exactly a, a move he needed to make necessarily. What do you think happened to them in that 40 minutes? Just lost, lost their composure a bit?
7: I think there's an element of muscle has a memory and... It, it has been the first time that both Munster and obviously, Leinster have found themselves at this level for a little while and of the season that has gone. Um, <clears throat> I think there was a little bit of a settling in period from the Leinster side and they were being uncharacteristic under the pressure. Now, I was there and I happened to enjoy a little different uh, experience In Shane, I enjoyed a fine plate of oysters before <laughs> at the, the banks of the river Rome before I strolled up to the game. Nice. But you have to take into account... The atmosphere was just off the charts. The colour, the singing, the, the pressure. And then you got to look at the the, um, the Claremont team and particularly their pack. They emptied their energy and their emotional being in that opening 15, 20 minutes. So much so that at 20 minutes, and although the scoreboard was looking horrific, I felt, Jesus, Leinster, if they just focus for a moment, these guys are done. They have thrown everything at this fixture and they've got the 15 points for it. So there was a combination of two things happening. The first thing is that Leinster's line obviously uh, malfunctioned hugely. The errors, like the kickoff, for example, when they gave away the penalty and a and cheap exit for Claremont, when Claremont had butchered the reception of the kickoff. all these little in- ingredients didn't help. Uh, but you have to give credit to Claremont as well. And you have to say that 15, 20 minutes, like they were ferocious at the breakdown. Their, their counter-walking was phenomenal. And it gave, um, at Scrum Half, Luke McGrath, a very, very difficult ride. And you contrast that to Morgan Parra, who basically, the the petite general, he just has some sort of, I don't know what, CEO status on that side. He had an armchair ride and he was just picking off the little box kicks, chipping over, finding green grass and punishing every single tiny mistake Leinster had. Once they negotiated at 20 minutes, then it was a totally different game.
4: Shane, did you think the analysis afterwards, sometimes people were saying it was as simple as, well, you can't afford to go 15 points down to a side like Claremont. But at the same time, it felt like it was a whole new game then in the second half. And that initial 25, 30 minutes became kind of irrelevant.
6: Um, They could have made it easier for themselves, obviously, by not um, shipping those points early. Um, But as you're right, the game evolved and a different narrative developed. But, you know, I think what you couldn't really notice is there's a trade-off between being as physical and being as as big and, and muscular as... That Claremont team is, and they et um, Leinster at the breakdown. There's a trade-off between being able to do that for that period of time, at the start of a game, and yeah, the, the and being aerobically fit to go right away, flat track to um, eighty, eighty-five minutes, and that's the trade-off they play with. They committed very heavy to the rook. Um, I spoke to John Gibbs afterwards. He said he didn't think that Leinster were tested in that area. Um, you could see the numbers they were putting in; they were much stronger over the ball than Leicester. But that fell away as they fatigued later in in the uh, in the second half. So you're right; the game did open up, and it looked as if there was a new one developing in the second half. But the key moment for me was um, obviously the the, um, the penalty uh, and the try that didn't that didn't happen for Levy. That went back and was a penalty kick. Not so much because. The try wasn't scored, or the you know there was a eight point turnaround straight away with the penalty, but the way Claremont shut the game down for the next ten minutes, and they bought they were out on their feet at that point, and I they sprung into life after they realised that the try hadn't um, hadn't been given and then you know so they their you know enthusiasm was back but they didn't have it didn't take it out of their legs because there was a fallow period for 10 minutes there i think from around 55 minutes around that point where it was scrum after scrum there was bodies down and it was definitely a claremont policy to slow things up so the defensive line that had been so disintegrated started to come back they've made a few changes uh, in um, personnel as well, and got Rudry off the pitch, who was you know he was totally spent. So that was a real turning point. Even though Leinster came back into it uh, later on again with a phenomenal try by Ringrose, uh, that was the key turning point. And I think if if that if he if Levy hadn't given away that penalty, that moment, that try would have come. Not you know immediately as it did but it would come that's the way it felt for me and, and I think that was the winning and the
7: losing of the game <clears throat> the one thing I would say uh, just to what Shane was saying is that I would have said that that energy swing happened much earlier than the second half I would have said it happened after 20 minutes like they Claremont emptied the bin and at that point in time I was calling certainly for changes from the Leinster bench I would have brought on Sean Cronin 100% brought him on I would have put Reese Ruddock into the second row and I would have brought John, uh, John van der Fleer in at 6 I would have left Uh, two open sides and a very lively uh, number eight Jack Conan and on and put Ruddock into the second row I just don't think Hayden Triggs adds a huge amount of physicality and certainly when he's in open space he doesn't have the ability to convert opportunities so I think Leinster left a couple of tries behind them um, even at that early stage and that would I always feel certainly against Claremont that that speed will always trump physicality and particularly when that physicality is fatiguing as Shane was talking about so yeah Dan Levy looked like a guy who wasn't imposing himself because he was just being murdered at the breakdown with the size of the front five that Claremont uh, were bringing to. So he wasn't getting those steals. But as soon as um, they began to fatigue, a whole new storyboard started. I even go back to the fifth minute or so when um, uh, Rougerie was asked the first time to defend when I think it was Joey Carberry ran out. And I think he, he gave away a loose high hit on his right arm in tackling uh, Carberry, which was a penalty, wasn't anything more than that. But what that told me after five minutes is, Rougiery is in no way the player that he has been. That guy's vulnerable, even after five minutes. Like, he doesn't make ill-disciplined tackles like that for only the reason that he was struggling to get hold of Carberry. And I think Leinster, even though they were malfunctioning in certain parts, We're slow to recognise that there's loads of opportunities, even at that stage, to start punishing Claremont. And as we saw with the the Dan Levy try, that wasn't a try, uh, we saw at that stage. But I think Leinster could have adjusted, certainly their bench. Cronin's ball carrying would have been hugely significant if he came on earlier. Ruddock going into second, as I said, and then having two open sides in the back row would have been hugely beneficial as well.
3: Lopez killed uh, Liam with those two drop goals as well as a penalty. Why do out-halves not drop go drop, uh, go for drop goals more often
7: I, I don't know I, I, I can't understand it and even even like when um, for a start they were phenomenal drop goals like wow they're yeah. like we think of Johnny Sexton Ronan Nagara and, and the historical drop goals that we've experienced in, in the past those two were gut wrenchingly brilliant to watch like you have to take your hands off to to the way he sat back in the pocket and nailed both of them particularly the first one I thought it was a little further out um but when when uh, when the scoreboard was running away from leinster towards the end i think it was like three minutes and they got that penalty uh the crowd were shouting for leinster to kick it to touch and i said no 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 take your three points you you'll do it in time and what a three points sexton did nailing it from the touchline as well like what the quality on show was just phenomenal but i don't get why teams don't go for more drop goals and it's certainly in the culture of the top 14 and two big big parts of what Claremont did, um, the two penalties they got either side of half-time from the scrum, that's part of their culture. They were kind of rarely visiting uh, the Leinster The Leinster 22. They get a scrum, they just kind of chat away amongst themselves and they get the penalty and they convert the penalty. That's six really, really cheap points. It's in their DNA as is drop-goaling, which is less so in Irish rugby. Maybe it's a reflection of the Rabo and probably a reflection that Leinster scored something like 60 trials last season and with the onset of, of uh, the new coaching structure that they have they're on 120 something tries they're scoring so many tries that they may not really think that drop goaling is is, is going to win the matches when they're scoring so many tries.
4: Shane, now that Leinster looked to have, not mastered but you certainly improved dr- drastically on the more difficult, more technical aspects of the game, you know in terms of offloads and running angles and scoring tries from deep and counter attacking and they have this young team do you see it as sort of a, a linear progression? Now next year they will definitely be better because that was sort of the theme coming out of the camp in the post-match uh, interviews. You know that this is this is a young team. We've improved drastically from last season, and that next year will be better. Is it as simple as that?
6: Um, it may well be. I think they do do the difficult things, um, you know, better than they had been previously, and sometimes they do the difficult things better than um they they do their fundamentals, and that was actually the case um at uh, yesterday they um you know some of the restarts weren't going to their alignment in defense they got square a number of times down their um left hand flank and they were made um they were made pay for it really badly, but on the other side of things. You you can you can you can fix those issues. You know you can drum in the fundamentals. It's you know and and almost any team can do that. But The special things that they were doing, the special things we saw Ringrose, the attacking that we saw from Joey Carberry. Um, uh, you know how flat Sexton gets, how he constantly runs a, a line that in you know attracts defenders, and even when he doesn't have the ball, he he's running block, blocking lines for the others as he did for for uh, Ringrose's try. Um. The those elements of the game um, that are more difficult to coach and more difficult uh, to um, put into your philosophy, um, I think they have those covered really well. I was kind of surprised that Adam Byrne wasn't selected on the wing. Um, you know, I think you know that youth has been really important to Leinster this year. It has. They've been playing with without um, being inhibited in any way. Carberry... As well, Um, I I think he's added considerably to what um, Leinster are doing. So, you know, there's no reason they shouldn't progress. I think they have they've recruited a new second row for uh, next year. I think they need to do that. I think we're going to see a bit of organic um, change as well, probably in the second row with Ryan coming through. Um, It's an area that they, you know, they need to develop. I thought there were. They looked a little light there at the at the weekend, and um, with that, I think you know you you have the other pieces of of the jigsaw are really in place, and and that's without guys like Andrew Porter um, or Max Deegan, who who we haven't spoken about and and haven't been involved really this year. So um, there is seems to be a really strong basis, um, and I think one of the you know the key issues is going to keep keeping this squad happy um, because you know there's injuries to a lot of players in the last number of weeks that have kept probably back row members happy um is that going to be the case next year i'm not sure
3: yeah there's optimism as well around munster and i think everybody's being very kind to them over this defeat because of how far they've come in such a short space of time but i think simon you feel that maybe they've been let off the hook a little
4: bit well i think there's two different aspects to this i think there's the season that munster have had which has been incredible and that's correctly the focus that's the main thing you take away from what they've done in europe so far and what they may do in the pro 12 but i also think it's a mistake to sort of just slot away the semi-final against saracens and the performance against saracens say well we've just come from such a low base we've improved so much this year we got to a semi-final and that's great and all is positive i think for a start it's the semi-final of the european cup so you need to analyze that game more than any other as a measure of how far you've come and I think Saracens are a brilliant side and are clearly have better players and more depth and have you know been around longer than Munster have. But then still, on that day, I thought Munster obviously drastically underperformed. And you can also extrapolate too much from the game. Uh, you know, even Erasmus was saying afterwards that you know Saracens are just a better team. They're that much of a points differential better than Munster. But actually, they never had to struggle with any real scoreboard pressure. I know it was six three at half time, but. There was never... People talk about uh, a punch being landed or never a punch landed by Munster. I didn't feel they threw a punch. Like, they just didn't feel a time where they really took a risk, where they really <laughs> made Saracens think in defence. And I know a formula has worked for so well for Munster this season. And again, I'm not taking away from everything that they've done. Their basics are brilliant. Their defence has come on. Their kicking game has come on. Their box kicks, all that sort of stuff. But I still think... It was a real opportunity miss. Saracens might still have won the game, but I just thought, uh, you know, it's at three all in the first half, there was chances. There was a time that Simon Zebo took a crash ball straight into traffic. I'm just picking one example that's in my head there, but I thought there was way more opportunities for Munster on the day to think on their feet and not just do well. This worked for us all this season because it was blatantly obvious that their their kicking game wasn't working for them. I know Blandell was having a bad game, but I just think it's too much of an easy pass to say Munster lots of progress. Yes, we got to. A, we played a far superior team, and end of story. We'll look to next season. Liam, what do you think on that?
7: <clears throat> yeah, I think. Uh, I think coming away from the weekend, uh, the first things I'd say that from an Irish context, I think we should be very proud and happy that we've achieved what we've done or the province have done. So, without any major checkbooks, without any major uh, what the Saracens and the South Africa money, and all that kind of stuff, you, you need to put it in, in its context. That aside. Couple of uh, things at halftime really struck me when I was when I was watching it. Um, for a start, there was, I think, Munster at thirty nine percent of field position in, in the Saracens twenty two and got pretty much nothing for it. But another factor really concerned me, which was they took twenty two pick and goes off breakdowns and fifty nine, yeah. I think it was one out passes, which which adds up to say 20, 80 carries or passes within about a yard and a half of the breakdown. Um, And that's just not ambitious enough, really, to to, to try and create a question or a picture for the defence and then when you think of the of Vinopole and Billy Vinopole and these guys, they were just running into them. They were, they, they were happy to sit in second gear and allow Munster bravery to run into the fringe and basically get walloped and knocked back on the ground. And sarsons don't commit much to the breakdowns; so they spread the field as well. So they're making it really, really difficult for themselves. And the first thing, because I was late, I'd abandoned my car on Clyde Road somewhere uh, because of the traffic conditions coming up from Limerick. Um, and I, the first thing I actually saw was Saracens had a ball off the top of the line out down to Scrum Aff Wigglesworth. Um, at the tail of the line out was Billy Villapolo who peeled back looking to receive it, but he actually faced the ball right in front of him out to Mako who was out in midfield. Now there's 121 kgs carrying the ball in the midfield and then prepared to offload it or do what he wants to do with it. That was something that Munster weren't really doing. They were running, they were doing the one out stuff and they weren't really troubling. Um, Saracens, who had to make an awful lot of tackles but they were relatively easy tackles so that's the disappointing thing for me that for all the emotions and, and the season that will go down in history for all of what has happened it is a phenomenal occasion to get to the semi-final and there's no doubt in my mind there was a gulf in class between Munster and Leinster in terms, or Munster and and, and, and Saracens, sorry um, by virtue of the quality of the players both sides had at that point in time and the, where they are on their their learning curve but not to actually trouble Saracen's defence in any shape or form was something that I was quite disappointed with.
3: Could they have brought a bit more to the table on Saturday, Shane?
6: Yeah, they could. I was hugely disappointed with their, um, their game plan. Um, and it's. I think uh, Razia Rasmus mentioned something in his uh, press conference afterwards about having to have a, a plan B. Um, but uh, it didn't look as if they had one and it was re- their plan a was really surprising it's the one that has uh, served them well this year Um they were you know they were they were very committed um they were physical but they were running into a miserly defense in the areas that that defense would have most liked them to run into which is either side of the rook off a one-out pass and um you know the kicking game the open side kick uh very often employed uh, to Conway who's not massive but he's been good in the air but he's still not massive against maitland who's a taller guy and um, S- uh, Saracen's dealt with it incredibly comfortably and um, they felt they they dealt with runners you know I- including you know that the back very um effective back row of of uh O'Donnell and O'Mahony and, uh, and Stanner, they dealt with them really, but relish running in exactly where they wanted without a whole lot of footwork. Um, and I, I think they haven't, Munster haven't really come up against it, uh, a team with that sort of strength, with that sort of discipline in defense. And not to have thought of another way to try and beat them was really surprising and disappointing for me. Uh, And I think they'll regret it because I just didn't know under what circumstances that game plan was going to beat that team. Um, So, um, you know, can they, you know, he's moved their game on a lot, Erasmus, in the last year. So maybe it's just, okay, this is stage one of of a, you know, two and three stage process and you need to get those fundamentals right and you need to get the heads right. And he has done that. Um, and that's where they can move on and that's where they'll have success, but they have to move that game plan on because, um, you know, we spoke about a lot about the Munster DNA and, and um, you know, the sort of game they play, they played in that golden era. You know, they didn't play just a one out game. If That wasn't the case. They put a lot of weight on, on the game as well. And, and um, you know. With Stringer and O'Gara at uh, nine and ten, that ball was flashed out into the wider channels very often, and that's that's where they got a lot of their scores. So, um, just because you know, there's a, a memory of that toughness of that um, that old monster side. You know, they weren't a one-trick pony. That's for certain. Yeah, well, and just finding one point, yeah. just one point on you know uh, what Liam mentioned there is, yeah, yes, kudos to the two Irish teams, but we have to move away from this idea that you know we don't have the checkbook that the other teams have it doesn't actually matter if we have the checkbook or not anymore we actually have a have a conveyor belt of young players um in the provinces that no other Um, team in Europe has we generate players we develop players through the school system through the youth system through the academy systems that we have that is the envy of everyone in Europe and I'd rather be in that position generating young players that both Munster and Leinster and Ulster um, to a lesser extent have in their side at the moment than buying in you know mercenary players from from all around the world And
4: and we've other little advantages like better fans better stadiums more player loyalty normally, better at signing, probably a better structure with the RFU. That's just a few other things. You know, you can't just say money and therefore those teams should be more successful. Well, Liam, what do you think? Because you're the one yeah. who said it.
7: Yeah, no, I, I think the point I was trying to reflect is that when you look at a semifinal and how what that I was deeply disappointed for Leinster yesterday, primarily because they had the ability to win it. Whereas when I w- left the Aviva Stadium on Saturday, I said, look, there's just a golfing class there. And the class, classes we articulated, one, there's a better player in the Saracens group. Okay, that's the first thing. And they've got that through checkbooks, right? The other thing is that the, the, the style of game Munster employed, for me, was very disappointing. But you have to take into account Connor Murray wasn't there, so that has a monumental impact. And Peter Manny, the other line, uh, left the pitch early as well, which has another massive impact. So I'm just trying to say listen, the teams need to be supported and encouraged and congratulated, and Irish rugby in a sense, for the exact reasons Shane has just outlined, for all of those reasons, needs to reflect and not go to the checkbook is what I'm trying to say, that we have the foundations and structures, and if we like, certainly the four second rows that that took the pitch for Munster and Leinster need to be reviewed, because I don't know, are they going to deliver um, in the pairing that they have, are they going to deliver, so there has to be changes and people brought in, and that's Stuff So much good things going on. That's why I was really disappointed leaving Aviva, because it seemed that the team tactic from, from going into the game was the aerial thing which Shane has talked about, but the box kicking as well. And Duncan Williams, there was a, there was a moment when, um, when, when Munster had an ascendancy arriving into the Saras 22, and he box kicked into the air. And I think it was a good who who caught it. Like he was almost surprised that he kicked it to him because, like, what you kick it to me for?
4: Yeah,
7: total so momentum killer. Kind of that bit, was yeah. and, and innocence around employing the game plan that I feel if a player of the caliber and leadership of of Connor Murray was there, that a their 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 a game plan was was innocent. I think it wasn't a good game plan. But I think players of the caliber of Conor Murray would have said, hang on, this isn't working. I need to do something different because that's why he's a world-class player. World-class players make changes as the game evolves and reads as the game evolves and implements a new game plan if necessary. So I'm just reflecting on all the things Shane has said, the Academy's all that. They're, they're really churning out some quality and we don't need to go to a checkbook, and that's the good news. But we certainly need, uh, in Munster's case, they, they learned hugely that they have a lot of ground to make up, look, they're Leinster one and two in the Rabo. That tells us one thing. But when you get to the semi-final, no more than in soccer, you'll eventually meet a Real Madrid or Barcelona, and uh, you you need to have more quality. And I think uh, blindell as an example at out half, didn't do a whole lot different. I know he missed the kick a goal and that, but didn't do a whole lot different than he would in the Rabo. But he just happened to be playing against fifteen way better players than he had played to that point in the Rabo. And I think back to the. To the day, that the emotional day in Holman Park when um, when uh, Munster demolished Glasgow, on that very very unique day we'll never see again, hopefully. Um, and all of a sudden, fast forward to Saracens. Saracens were just too bloody good to implement this implement the same game plan to think you were going to beat them. Yeah. So you had to come up with something better. And that 80 or so kind of one out carries. Just isn't going to do it against a, a Saracen side that were, with the likes of Cruz and these fellows just gobbled up those red jerseys.
3: All right, makes sense, Liam. Brilliant, Shane. Thanks a million.
7: Take care. Just a crying
2: big baby. you cannot call it a player a baby.
7: Victory, boy. Didn't have a I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Which is the game you wanted victory for? I didn't have a weapon. Well, it's just, uh, the nervousness. You look frustrated on the Coach. pitch. Which is the game you wanted victory for? I didn't have a weapon. You wanted victory. Well, I wanted
4: victory. Which is the game you wanted victory for? I didn't have a weapon. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? We won against them in the Premier and we never
2: said they are baby. He's just a crying a big baby, and you cannot call a player a baby.
3: One part of the Munster story we didn't get to there, Simon, is Razi Erasmus. I saw yeah. all these headlines uh, on. I think they might have come out, and so maybe even on Saturday evening, that Razi Erasmus stays conf- confirms he's staying at Munster, and I thought well, that's obviously great news. Mm. When I started delving into it. I think I might be overanalyzing this. And I did send you a series of emails this morning going, Is there any more to it than what I'm i reading too much into this? But it wasn't Razzy Erasmus, it wasn't like Razi Erasmus came out and said, Guys, I'm delighted to say Munster, this is I'm I'm happy to take this opportunity to clear everything up. He was asked about he was asked to confirm, Are you staying? And he was. Always, it felt as though, judging by the quotes anyway, it was um, the information was almost being dragged out of him. Yeah, of course I'm staying. Yeah, I never said I was leaving. That kind of thing. It was actually Niall Scannell who was the one who went into detail. He said, oh, no, there's been loads of speculation, but he told us weeks ago that he's going to be staying. And I'll be honest with you, it's quite a relief because the players were a little bit concerned. It seems like a strange way. It could just be that, look, this, it, it, the time or place isn't at a press conference immediately after a big game to go into details on the decision-making process. But he's allowed this story to be public for quite a long time now. And it's not as though he's he, he's, he's killed it in a sort of, sort of anticlimactic way.
4: I think. Well, it's massive news. Like, it's the biggest news line out of the weekend besides the results. And it is, it's kind of buried down on some of the rugby articles on the sites as well, which is strange. Um, and it's because the language is a little bit vague and also, the first time he spoke about this in advance of the quarterfinal, his language was vague. If it, Everything else he's done, he's done with class. Um, he handled the whole Axel Foley thing, one of the most difficult things any sporting coach would have to deal with uh, brilliantly. Um, and therefore, I think you give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's either a little bit naive about this or he just genuinely, in his own head, doesn't see it as a factor and he, he's talked in slightly loose language about it twice now. But I would say he is staying. I mean... You know, you would have to say if he said it to the players, then he's staying. But I just think he, he's handled it.
3: Yeah, I just kind of feel in as a th- bizarre manner. So it seems like there's just that tiny bit of doubt in my mind. Reading the quotes, the, the small shred of is this? Is there just is he? Is there a chance that an out is being left? Now look, he says yes, 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 yes repeatedly mm. when he's asked. Yes, I am. St- yeah, you're definitely saying Razzie, yes. So that can end the speculation. I've never been speculating about this. But you know, if it's if it's good mm. news, normally you're happy to give more than one word answers. Whereas if you're I mean, trying to avoid the subject. You, you just want to get it out of the way. so
1: Yeah, at the end of the day as well, it, I mean, it's up to everyone else to speculate. You you either know what's happening or, or not. So it's on you to tell us so that we can stop speculating. Uh, mm. Everyone else. I mean, everyone, no one else has the facts except for you and the people that you're talking to if there's another job in the offing. So it's on you to end the speculation. It's not like... Anyone in the press can
3: end any speculation. Why didn't he end it weeks ago when he told the players he was staying, if that is the case? Like the original quotes were,
4: I've been talking to the South Africans since I've been here. I've been living there and coaching there the last six years, and I know the guys really well. There have been some formal and informal chats. This is in advance of the quarterfinal. This is such a big week. All the chat I had with them was really informal. I'm just parking that, focusing on this quarterfinal, and letting my situation become something in a big week, which again would leave himself enough leverage there enough room to say later on no I, I am leaving but I, I think you might put it down to naivety because you know he isn't a professional coach for that long he seems like a really good guy so I think for now you just say yeah he is staying Ken don't just sit there let everybody know
3: what's on in today's Second captain's Football podcast please
5: that's yeah <laughs> they have asked
2: for that really now you can laugh I'm I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I want to be like me You
5: well, don't know what you're talking about right you now, I've got later. Later. I'd say it to you face I'll say it to oh, you now What do you I'm... What you're doing down here you're in man
1: Pretty amazing game between Barcelona and Real Madrid last night on I think it's the most fun of any of those games I've ever seen Any classical? Yeah, I think so I mean, a big talk early. Yeah, there have been some amazing ones. Uh, I mean, I've, I've seen some incredible things. People throw a pig's head at a, another human being. First time I ever saw that was in a Madrid Barcelona game. Presumably the
3: only time you've ever seen it.
1: First time, uh, for sure. Uh, you know, there was a 5-0, which was pretty amazing display of uh, football by Barcelona. Um, there have been a lot of good games, but this was the this was a game that had absolutely everything. And we talked a bit about that. Uh, we talked also about who's better between Chelsea and Tottenham.
3: Yeah, the better team who are top of the league and beat the other team at the weekend or the there other one. Again. <laughs> that
2: was a conversation.
3: He's, he just lives in such a black and white world, doesn't he? Mm. You know?
2: Him and Alan Shearer.
1: Yeah. Well, they scored more goals, therefore see, you know, life is not about black and white again. Yeah. Ken lives in the grey in between, Owen. And that's where the football show is located today. Murphy, that and, you know, on the internet.
3: Must have been excited about what you saw from the Galway Hurlers yesterday, briefly. Oh, pretty excited, all right, Owen. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh,
1: did you double screen or did you just... I, I want to know how you how you played it. Because it was interesting, right? I turned my phone on airplane mode so I could watch the hurling and not know the Leinster, Leinster game. Recorded the Leinster game and then watched that. So I, basically, I wasn't on the internet
3: for 4 hours. Well, there was a cup semi-final on, there was a, and there was, there was Premier League, there was more there was quadruple screening to be done.
1: Well, Owen, can I tell you something? Not being on the internet
3: during a sporting event.
1: Who knew? It's actually quite good for, you know, concentrating on the events of the yeah. game and uh, making your own mind up about these things. I I am I'm i I think I'm going to start doing it more often. Right? I think I'm going I think I'm just going to I'm I, I'm wean myself off the internet for the duration of sporting events in the hope that you
3: know, some greater clarity will will come to me. We'll see. I'm going to allow Michael Dignan now and Malachy Clerken to help me make my mind up about what happened yesterday. Malachy, how are things? Not too bad, lads. Good to hear. Now, Cyril Farrell last night, I don't know if you saw him on League Sunday, but he was struggling to contain his excitement about Galway's All-Ireland chances. This He was practically handing the trophy over to Galway after, uh, after yesterday's league win. Was it that big uh, a moment for you? Did it signify what Galway could be this summer?
5: Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean... I definitely went into yesterday thinking that they were, you know, in the top three, top certainly top four, probably top three. Uh, I'd say now they're definitely top two. Um, I think the one thing that we sort of don't particularly know is, like, Tipperary are, it, you know, in in horse racing terms, you'd forgive them the run, like, they mm-hmm. can't be that bad. You know, there's no way that they'll... They'll find themselves in Crook Park or in Thurles this summer and be that bad. You'd imagine like that—that that was just not their not their true running as they, as they again <laughs> to beat another met for into the de- into the dirt. But um, so you can't be a hundred percent sure just how how amazing Galway might be, but they they certainly have tips number. You know the last two years that they've played them in the championship, there's only been a puck of a ball literally each time between them and they. They certainly know how to play them, they certainly have the weapons to play against them, and you really can't say that for, for every team, you know. So if they meet they'll meet you you would imagine fairly late in the summer. So on, on that very sort of basic premise, they're there. You know, they're definitely there. Uh,
1: we were talking last week, Michael, about how we thought Galway and Tip were the top two in the country uh last Tuesday or went through or whenever it was that we were talking. Uh, can we bump Galway all the way up to number one, though? That's the question. I mean, let's get a bit more ambitious about this.
2: Well, look, at this morning The air, but, you know, things change. I think you can get carried away on one performance. Like, last September, we all said that it was a brilliant hit performance, uh, even though, I think, Gerlach Dan said they're not even a good team now uh, this morning. So, um, you know, you, <laughs> I think people, you can, you can make knee-jerk reactions uh, to all these things. But certainly, uh, Galway... To me, have been a major force over the last number of years, but just couldn't get over the line. When it came to the, uh, you know, it came to the really big matches, Kilkenny, uh, they drew with them. They got caught in replays. Tipperary, uh, they beat Tipperary. Uh, they've been close to them over the last five, six years. Um, so it's just that one particular big day where they needed to get over the line and go on and win. Ireland, that they haven't been able to do it. So uh, they are there, thereabouts. I have, I've said that over the last three or four years. I've, I've thought to have been. Uh, certainly, in the top couple of teams every year, uh, but that was a that was a brilliant performance. Just well, forgetting about Tipperary, maybe for a minute and where they are, but like from Galway's point of view, going into that match, um, their number three Dahi Burke has, was an outstanding centre back before he went back to full back. But then they had a problem at six, and Garrod Ger- McInerney, you know, having a big game there yesterday, that's huge for him and for Galway coming up to the championship. And then the spread of their forwards, and the link play of David Burke. Like the, to me, David Burke is. By far the best midfielder in the country. He's an absolutely outstanding player. And um, he had a couple of wayward shots early on. And then he just stopped shooting after that because he wasn't on song. And he just sprayed the ball all over uh, Limerick yesterday. And I thought he gave an exhibition of hurling. And they have scorers in every department up front. So, brilliant performance on the day from Galway. And, um, you know, one factor I, that maybe I just think it might have played into their hands a little bit was that Limerick's a little bit tighter than Crow Park. And, I thought the physical exchanges. They certainly were well on top. They're a huge team. They're, they're the biggest team in the country at the moment. They're very fit, very, very physical. And I just, even though Tip don't have that much huge pace up front, particularly without Bonner Maher playing, maybe Callan, but the McGraths wouldn't be lightning fast. But it's their movement in Crow Park, where they sort of they 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 spread the ball over the field, and the players are moving before the ball is played. It gives them that extra yard. But certainly the physical confrontation yesterday. Uh, Tipperary were beaten all day.
1: Yeah, and I think, Michael, the, m- one of the major manifestations of that was Galway's strength in the air. And I've I've found it interesting that over the last couple of years, teams have tried to change the game to ensure that, to try and nullify, basically, Kilkenny's, first Kilkenny's massive superiority in the air, in the half-back line, in the half-forward line. Tipperary got up to Kilkenny's standard in that area. And you saw yesterday that for all of the teams that have tried to change the game, It's still strength in the air, in your half-back line, in uh, your half-forward line. That's a huge, huge factor. And Galway have that now in both of those lines. Huge uh, fielding options. Guys that are capable of winning their own ball, effectively. And that was a huge thing as well yesterday.
0: Yeah,
2: I agree with you, Karen. And that's something, again, you know, in the coaching that I see going on all over the country, uh, most training sessions, it's all, you know, uh, drills with Fast, low ball, and that's a, obviously a huge part of the game. Your first touch is vitally important. But if you think about a game of hurling over the over the course of the game, the amount of ball you have to win from puckouts, uh, whether they're your puckouts or the opposition's puckouts, or maybe freeze landing down, like and all that's the primary possession. you know, I don't want to sound like a, <laughs> you know, maybe like some of our football analysts have a primary possession, but it is like most ball is dropping out of the air. And you can go about bypassing that, you know, with short puckouts and with, you know, with, with different tactics. But uh, but ultimately, there is ball to be won in the air and hard ball to be won. And uh, and Galway, you know, excellent at that gesture. But t- and to be fair, normally Patrick Maher, and Maher dominate pretty much in the air as well. And Tip are strong in the air in certain aspects. But for a few years now, uh, their half-forward line, or up until last year, their half-forward line were criticised. And then Dan McCormack was brought in Their Bonner has always been strong in the air, but they were losing a lot of ball in their half-forward line, and they had to rectify that, and they did that last year, but you saw some of those problems resurfacing yesterday, but I just think it was one of those days for Tipperary where I think, it, I'd agree with Maliki, you'd have to excuse them, you know, for one day, because it just, it was like as if when the game started, they went out with the, with the wrong attitude mentally, that they weren't ready, now how he couldn't be ready for in a league final, particularly against Galway, where there's a huge rivalry between Galway and Tipperary, but they didn't seem to be ready mentally. And when you're not ready mentally and then you try to turn it on after 10 or 15 minutes, it just doesn't happen like that. So uh, it's hard to, you know, tip so professional in your setup, normally so focused. We talked a lot last week as well about, you know, the only two players have won league medals before. So the motivation was there. Um, but the hunger wasn't there and Galway had it in abundance and that can happen in hurling. If you're not tuned in, a game can go away from you very, very quickly and it can be made look very, very average and that Galway team with the ability to have, if you weren't contesting those 50-50 balls, uh, you're in trouble but I think that'll focus tip now and, you know, greatly for the championship but it does bring other teams into the equation it'll give confidence to other teams.
3: So there's no panic here, Malik. there's no sense that well, this is tip on the year after winning in All-Ireland, we've seen what's happened uh, most recently in 2011, that they, they, they sometimes struggle to get back up to the pitch of it?
5: I don't yeah. think so. I, I think they've... It's funny, I did I did a piece on, on Saturday that, that looks ludicrous now. Um, <laughs> com, <laughs> c- comparing... I wasn't comparing them to the 2007 Kilkenny team, but I was comparing their league to Kilkenny's 2007 league. And there was a lot of statistical coincidences. Like, they both ended with seven points, they both ended with, you know, plus 28 point difference, they both used, one used 31 players, one used 29, they both scored the same amount of points, almost exactly like 130 to 129 or something like that. But my point was that that they they were in exactly the spot where they want to be, you know, that they had managed their league well, they'd introduced a few new fellas, they'd given a few kind of, you know, here's a lesson, benchings to a few other guys. You know, th- that that Mick Ryan had brought them on, it- it done exactly the right thing. Like, he had basically copied Cody's template for-, for how to how to manage a team like this. Now, Kilkenny did lose that league final in, in 2007 as well, but they didn't get a hiding the way it Tip did it yesterday. I don't think there's anything to panic about, except that when they meet Galway again, you know... They have to. They have to come up with a different game plan. They maybe even have to come up with different personnel. You know, like we look at somebody like Kyle Barrett, who is obviously a brilliant cornerback, like one of the best cornerbacks in the country for the last few years. He kind of struggles against Galway because he, you know, that you can't you can't coach him to be a f- half a foot taller than he is, and they they bombard him in the air. Him and Mickey Cahill got absolutely destroyed yesterday, and so. When, if and when they meet Galway again, they, they'll they have to seriously think about how they approach the game. Like, even, even yesterday... But, but the reason you wouldn't really panic was... Like, if you took... As Michael said there, you take tips half-forward line yesterday. He picked three workhorses, like... Mm-hmm. Michael Breen, Dan McCormick, and Stephen O'Brien. You know, the three of them, there to win ball. Like, they're not there to do the Noel McGrath. They're not there to, to rattle off four or five points apiece. You know, Breen's a good man to score, but they're there. They're there to win ball. And they got monstered by a, a, a Galway half-back line, and that was the springboard for everything. So, what's when they meet Galway again I think they have something serious to think about but I don't think that they need to panic at all you know playing Cork in a couple of weeks like this this will obviously be the, the, the kick in the arse that they need if, if indeed like we didn't know that they needed it mm-hmm. they, we didn't like we weren't going into this thinking that they they need to be brought down to earth here but I wouldn't worry for them against Cork at all uh,
1: Michael the Galway forward line uh, you know the last couple of weeks have seen Cahill Manion connor Whelan Jason Flynn. Uh, Connor Cooney, all at various stages, do brilliant things, uh, and there is uh, the the focus out there has been, you know, it's no longer kind of a one man show. You know, the pressure is being taken off Joe Canning, all the rest of that. Ooh, now, yep. in the me I, I I do find myself though watching Joe Canning at the moment and saying, you know, have we seen him play any better than this? Uh, nine points from play yesterday, uh, five free or two sixty fives, three frees, four from play and he's still the only Galway player who's trying to bring other Galway players into it. I mean, the guys that I've named there have all done brilliant things. They've also hit a lot of probably bad wides. You know, you're you still see your Connor Whelan, uh Mannion, Jason Finn, they don't pass to each other all that much and it's more more often than not it's Joe linking the whole thing together. Is you know, is there is there a, a temptation maybe to say that the pressure is off Joe and overlook the fact that he's the sti- he's very much the main man. It's just he's the main man in a different, more even more influential way. In that he's setting up as well as scoring as heavily as he always has.
2: Yeah, I, I look at I, I, I'm surprised that he's come back from this serious injury so well. You know, so and he's in such great shape because that. You know, I, I was chatting him down at the Plown last year just after the Ireland and. and he was in a bad way, you know. Like he, it, it wasn't said. He didn't say it was career-threatening, but it was close enough. That it was a similar type of injury that Paul O'Connell got, it just wasn't quite as bad. Um, so, you know, he had a major rehab over the winter, and that wasn't his first rehab. You know, he's had had serious injuries. Um, so, I'm amazed how, how quickly he's come back to form. But I'd agree. With you. I wouldn't say the pressure. I just think he's matured. I think he's very focused. You know, I can even see his face, his demeanor. You know, he'd even taking the freeze, like the total concentration, uh, written all over him. And playing that free role. I think it's taken so long, you know. And I've been part of that debate over the years where I've said, "Oh, definitely put him at 14." Or then other times you'd see him playing in club matches at 11, and he's destroying teams from out the field because he can score from so far out, and he's striking is so pure. Um, but he certainly is bringing other players in. And I, you know, you're t- talking about the other players being in, individual, but see, you need a certain amount of that in the team. But it, I suppose it's the day where you know getting that balance with the the workhorses. I suppose it is. It, it, you know, meaning that in a every team needs him. You need one or two lads that are selfless, you know, like Bonner Maher with tip, you know, and you maybe for another day Goblin might get caught out, but the likes of Conor Wheel okay, well, he's scoring f- five points yesterday, but he's worked great and he's tackling and he's hooking and he's blocking and you talked about Kyle Barrett there. Kyle Barrett doesn't meet people as abrasive as him at corner forward who's willing to take him on physically as well as every other way, who's totally fearless of him and you don't meet them every day of the week either at at, at, uh, at corner forward level. So, look at, um, Galway, without Joe Canning, wouldn't be the same threat no, and 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 it wouldn't be the same team. And, and he's free-taking. You saw that yesterday, John McGrath. You know, when the game was tight early on, he missed two sixty-five. He missed another long-range free that, you know, maybe Seamus Callan wouldn't miss because he's not natural free-taker at that level. The pressure is different when you're out there playing for your county. And it's wanting to do with the club. So that's why your TJ Reid, your Joe Canning, your Seamus Callan, you know, feature so regularly at the very top of the scoring charts because they score those free. So they're all factors. But I think if you put Bonner... Seamus Callan back in at centre forward and full forward. Tip's forward line improves. But I just going back to your previous ch- chat there, there six backs where there six All-Ireland in the backs from last year and the six of them got cleaned out yesterday. There was none of them comfortable. Uh, Brendan Maher was the only Tip player that came out of the game with any credit. So there is a question mark in, over them to the extent that in 2010, I I remember saying the evening of that All-Ireland that I thought Tip would win three of the next five All-Irelands and they didn't win any of them. Um, so, you know, they can, and they, and they were hugely impressive in 10, they were hugely impressive last year. So I think it does add that little bit of pressure um, to the setup now and gives them a focus. And then and whether they're able to, you know, handle that and carry that over the summer, I think they will. I think they're still going to be very hard to beat, but Galway are certainly up there with them.
3: And yet, Maliki. And yet, the second part of that question indicates Murph wants more from Galway. Jason Flynn's <laughs> two goals in the point, two goals in the point. Connor Whedon's five points in play. He needs them to be interlinking Barcelona style to really make it, make make this. I would real. have
5: thought he was just happy to see Johnny Glyden coming on. Oh, <laughs> stop! Yeah, well, he's our he's our
3: boy. He's our man these days. But is there any is there anything to that?
5: Yeah. Look, I it's funny what you mentioned Joe I, I thought the most impressive part of Joe's game yesterday was maybe the 10-15 minutes before half time like after 20 minutes I counted I actually tip was so off colour from the start I was actually counting when they didn't have their first shot at goal from play until the 13th minute this is temporary like no, no shot at goal from play and you could see that they were totally off colour and yet galway weren't putting them away like they had like 11 wides in the first half two into the keeper's hands three in the keeper's hands and one and two goal chances and that sort of 10 15 minute period before half time joe didn't miss Every a lot of people were missing, but you could just see that he was taking. There was one point he got a couple of minutes before halftime where it was just a catch and strike in the blink of an eye. There was, you know, it David was David Burke
1: a, hand passed it to him, and yeah, just yeah, just a no blink look. of an eye yeah. thing
5: and no nonsense. There was, it was as if it was as if lads, we are so much better in this team. Let's just score <laughs> and put it all to bed. And that sort of that sort of leadership is a is a massive thing. You're you're exactly right. You know, he he will knit the thing, but when it comes. When the pressure comes on In an All-Ireland semi-final You're still going to be Looking to him You're still going to He's going to have to be They'll still take their lead From him a bit I think.
3: Alright Malachy Brilliant stuff Thanks very much Michael thanks a million
2: Cheers lads
3: That's
5: the question That's going to be Answered tonight Tonight
6: So now Come here tonight Tonight Into Wexford Park And they just Must produce the goods Tonight Tonight Their team is better Set up tonight Tonight But they just The bottom line is Michael They have to do tonight Tonight no, I think Hawk have made a massive boo boo with our matchups. Massive boo boo. Tonight, 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 tonight.
3: I just need to row this all back in a little bit. If I fear we might be getting a bit carried away here. Galway are league champions, sure. Mm-hmm. Everyone's talking about this All Ireland tilt now. They are still in Division 1B of the league. Yeah. They go back there, even though be, they won the league. Yeah, they are not now in the top. They won division. the league. They just weren't promoted. That's all. <laughs> they won the league. They won the league above the league that they haven't been promoted from. Yes, that's the now you have it on. <laughs> <laughs> what, what took you
1: so long? I, I was I stunned into silence by Maliki mentioning Johnny Glenn there, just oh, because yeah. a, 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 a vision came to my came to my eyes, uh, and that was the site at half time, just as TG Carrow were about to go back to their main match commentators they showed Johnny Glenn running along the sideline to take his seat back up. He was wearing a training bib, on, And you know the idea—the the whole idea of the training bib, the, the raison d'etre of the training bib is that it is an exceedingly easy item to take off and put back on again. Uh, and yet, Johnny Glenn was wearing it like a kind of crop top that ended just kind of... just yeah. underneath the nipples and absolutely bet onto him. Like, it to an absurd degree. I mean, I thought... Once he sits down, that bib is going to tear from one end to the other. Uh, and then he comes on. And I mean, it, it, I was trying to figure out whether he needed, whether he'd put on weight, uh, put on muscle mass, whether he was carrying a few extra pounds. was that would be, a small bib. Yeah. It turns out that I actually, my, I couldn't take it all in. It's like looking at the Grand Canyon. His mass was just so vast <laughs> that I couldn't even figure out what I was looking mm-hmm. at. But suffice to say, we're all
3: very excited in Gola to see the big man return. We've got a full week of daily podcasts ahead of you if you're with the World Service already. If not, we shall talk to you again next Monday. Thanks very much Ken for your contribution today. Thank you to you. Anne. And to you Kieran. Thank you all. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. This. It. It's Is that,
1: that's the second time it's gone oh. they Never got home. They never got home. They never got home.
3: Those